Almighty God, come now and fill your word with power. Lord, draw our hearts to you. Lord, may you be the one who is exalted here. Lord, we pray that our our confidence wouldn't rest on human intellect or human eloquence, but upon the power of your spirit to take the word of God and make it alive in our presence. Lord, speak a word in this place that is needed by these people. And we, Lord, we pray that you would grant us, Father God, the ability to receive that and in receiving it to bear fruit for you and to give you praise and honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, since the uh, beginning of this season after the Epiphany, we have been in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 1, we're stuck in Mark chapter 1 for most of this time in the season after Epiphany. In fact, we have one more Sunday in the season after the Epiphany. And as you may recall, the readings in Mark chapter 1 began with these verses. Uh, after Jesus is baptized by John, this is the beginning of the ministry, the public ministry of Jesus. So if you're following along, turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. We're going to read two verses here, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John, this is John the baptizer, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe in the gospel. So right after Jesus has gathered his first disciples, he begins to go and proclaim this message. All that Israel had longed for in the centuries leading up to this time, while Israel has been in exile, they have been longing for God's kingdom, for Yahweh to return to his people, and for God's kingdom to be established. Even though many of the people of Israel had returned from the Babylonian captivity hundreds of years previously, and the people were coming, were back in the land, there was still the sense of Israel being in spiritual exile because they were waiting for the, day, for the days of old to be recapitulated when Yahweh's glory filled the temple and God himself was present among them. And that had yet to happen, and that was their longing. And in the midst of that longing, Jesus comes proclaiming this message. The time is fulfilled. This is what you have been waiting for. The kingdom of God is arriving. And he is directing, he's, he's saying, in me, the kingdom of God is now with you. Repent, turn from the ways of the past, turn around back to God, and believe this good news. Believe this good news that God has come to save his people. And after, immediately after beginning with that proclamation, we hear the story that we read last week of Jesus going and teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, the hometown of Peter and Andrew. So Jesus is teaching in that synagogue, and as he's teaching, people are amazed because the kingdom of God is present, first of all, through the word of God. And that's what the Jews were expecting. They've always anticipated that, that they would meet God through Torah, through the word that he gave to Moses, and through the prophets. They would encounter God through the word, and they are hearing that in a way they've never heard it before. He, he teaches as one with authority, not as the scribes. And they were astonished at his teaching. They're hearing something new and exciting and different with power, a teaching with power. And in the, in the midst of that, there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, Mark's gospel tells us. And Jesus 
cast that unclean spirit out. He says, come out of him, shut up, don't talk, and the demon is expelled from the man. And so what's going on there? And this is it. The old order of things, where the power of darkness prevails, where there is sickness and oppression and the things that destroy God's good creation, where they have dominion, that is now being broken in the person and in the power of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, Yahweh has returned to his people and the kingdom, of, and the kingdom age is breaking in. And that kingdom age continues to break in to this day. We live in a time right now, you and I in this church this morning are living in what many people call the between times. The kingdom of God began to break in when Jesus came and began to announce the kingdom at his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection and his ascension to the Father's right hand and then in the sending of the Holy Spirit, which was the promise that had been given upon the church on the day of Pentecost, since then the kingdom of God has been among us, even to this day. It is right now. And yet the, the, the powers of death and destruction and oppression still exist. And so these things overlap. And we're waiting for the last day when the kingdom of God will come in its fullness and all the power of darkness will be broken and driven away. That's what we're longing for. And that's what we're looking for. So this passage that we hear this morning of the inbreaking of the kingdom, when Jesus comes to the household of, of uh, Peter and uh, Andrew and Peter's mother-in-law, that's what we're seeing happen, is the kingdom of God continues to break in. So in our reading this morning from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39, to use uh, Mark's favorite word, they immediately leave the synagogue, they immediately show up in Peter and, and uh, Andrew's home, they, and, they're, and Jesus is immediately told about the mother-in-law who is sick. And Jesus begins to bring the kingdom of God into that present darkness. So that's what I want us to focus on this morning because this is not just something that happened in a far away and long ago time. It is something that is occurring for us today, even at this moment. So if you'll look with me at verse 29, just turn right there. You have your Bible open to Mark chapter 1. Here we go. I'm going to just read a couple of verses here, three verses actually. Here's what it says. And immediately he, Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Now listen to how this is phrased. I want you to, to kind of let this sink in. And he, Jesus, and he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. I want you to see how God's kingdom breaks into this moment. It happens not in a public gathering. It doesn't happen out in the city square. It's in a domestic setting. It's in a home. This is so personal. This is so intimate. It's a down, and, and, the, and the way that this healing occurs in and of itself is downright subdued. He came in. He took her by the hand. It says more, more literally, he raised her up, and the fever left her. It's done without spectacle. It's done without fanfare. Jesus just brings this woman uh, to her feet, and her fever is gone. There's no cheering crowds. There's no marketing. There's no like, hey, y'all, look, a miracle's about to happen. It's very matter of fact. What is going on here? Jesus enters into this home. This is such good news for us. 
And he sees, he sees the sickness and he says, this is not the way things are to be. This is broken. This is not the kingdom. And so God brings his, through Christ, God's kingdom breaks into that home and he brings sickness where there, he brings health out of sickness and life out of death. So this is what we take from that. The kingdom of God is for our homes. God's kingdom wants to break in in your house. It's, that's the normal place for it to be experienced and expressed, to see God's kingdom reign revealed there. And then the scripture says this. It says, she got, and she began to serve them. She began to serve them. So she is raised to serve. You know, brothers and sisters, we are healed. We're given new life in order to serve. Lots of commentators, I've read and listened to some commentary this week leading up to uh, the preaching of this sermon, and many commentators uh, were very, uh, well, some were offended by this phrase. Oh, yes, so this woman gets healed, and the first thing she does is start to have to wait on men. That really was in some of the commentary, not like I just said it, but that was the thing. It's like, I mean, we're just offended by this. That, you know, here she is liberated from sickness and now back under male oppression. And then other commentators were saying, well, we have to, and they were kind of apologetic. Yes, yes, she did get up and serve them. And, uh, and we're sorry about that, but that's the way it was back in those days. Well, I don't think either of those is true. I think what's going on here is this. This woman is the model disciple. She does what we're all supposed to do. She's given us a model for Christian discipleship. The Greek here for, and he lifted her up, is a more, could be more literally translated, he raised her up. And it seems that Mark is intentionally linking this event with resurrection. And we know that, that the new birth, as we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, that the new birth itself is a prefiguring, please listen, a prefiguring of the risen life that we have in Christ. So we are raised even before the resurrection event that we all look forward to when we're given a new glorified body. We are raised in Christ, it says in Romans 6, to, a, to newness of life. And that newness of life is expressed primarily in this, is that the nature of our Savior, Christ, uh, Christ's attributes, His character, begin to be infused and lived out in us. And so in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus himself says this. He, listen, for the Son of Man came not to be served. This is Jesus. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so what's going on in this woman's life is the very character of the one who healed her is being poured out to her, and she is raised not to be served, but to serve. And that's true for all of us. When we receive life in Christ, we find that uh, the, the greatest expression of our joy and fulfillment is actually in serving Christ and serving others. So Jesus gives me new life, and that new life reflects his posture of serving and laying down his life in love for me. And that's what the kingdom of God does in us. It changes the orientation away from, here's the old kingdom. The kingdom of darkness is when I am focused on living for me. My agendas, my desires, 
my opinions, my wants, my attitudes, that's, I'm all about me, but when I am raised to a newness of life, then my li I am liberated from that, and I'm able to actually lovingly serve Christ and demonstrate that service in serving others. It's not, um, it's not the obliteration of joy. It's the welcoming of joy and fulfillment. We, uh, Lisa and I were talking to someone on, we had a video call with someone this past week. And, um, and this was one of the co topics of conversation that came up in that video call. You know, uh, how, you know what, do you, what, what do you think about servant ministry or servant leadership? And, uh, and we both were just like, well, that's what leadership is about. It's about offering service, and it's actually fulfilling. It's about serving others is the way we live. Well, freeing a man from demonic oppression and healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law, they led to uh, instant notoriety. And so if you're looking at the scripture there, look at verse 32. The e that evening at sundown, the evening of the Sabbath, so sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So the Sabbath is ending, and so people can actually carry and bring their sick and afflicted relatives and loved ones to where Jesus is staying at that household, at Simon Peter's house. And by the way, uh, Lisa and I went there years and years ago. We were in Capernaum in the, in the village of Nahum the prophet in Capernaum, and we saw the first century synagogue. We saw the excavations archaeologically where they had dug down to, I think it was a basalt floor, the floor of that first century synagogue. We could see that. And then uh, we, we walked uh, 30 yards right down the street of Capernaum, of ancient Capernaum, and there is Peter's. We know this was Simon Peter's house. We're pretty sure, at least, because there has been a Christian shrine in that place. There was a Christian shrine, and there was a church. There's Christian graffiti on the walls of that house dating back to the early 2nd century. So, you know, like around the year 150 or so, people were coming there because that was Simon Peter's house. And so we still see that place to this day. So we walked right down there. And the, 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 it says the whole city gathered together. Uh, let me tell you what. Capernaum is not much of a city. It's never been much of a city. So there's, you know, there's, uh, it's kind of like our, our, the span of our reach via uh, our, our streaming video Literally dozens of people join us. Dozens. So uh, literally dozens, I'm sure, of people were brought to the doorway of Simon Peter's household. So the kingdom of God continues to be manifest. Diseases are being healed. Demons are being cast out. But there's a really interesting phrase, and this is kind of one of the, this is basically, I think, probably, maybe for us today, maybe the, one of the most important things for us to, be, uh, to think about is this passage right here, verse 34. Look at verse 34 with me. It's kind of strange. It seems a little out of place. It says, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, why did Mark think that was significant to include? Well, if we go back to the reading from last week, we hear this. This is when Jesus is casting out the unclean spirit in the synagogue. Remember what, the, what that spirit said as he was being cast out? It says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And of course, we read in 1 John that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Here's what's going on, I think. A lot of things may be happening here, but certainly this, in this passage. Jesus is rejecting, please listen, Jesus is rejecting the spectacle that the demonic wanted to introduce into that moment. Jesus was rejecting the spectacular that the demonic wants to bring into that moment. Jesus did not seek notoriety. He did not seek spectacle. The demonic seeks spectacle. The demonic seeks spectacle. And you know, Americans, we love the spectacular. I had to ask, fortunately, I think people are becoming less and less enamored by this, but today is not just the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, is it? It's also what Sunday? Super Bowl Sunday. Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. And so we love spectacle, man. That's it. That's, that's the thing, you know, the glitz and the glamour and the, the big production at halftime, which you know, has just gotten more and more over the top every year, Super Bowl Sunday. And, you know, we might think that uh, the church of the high Middle Ages, wrapping itself with the gaudy rags of spectacle, uh, that was the church being, you know, over, kind of being um, turned, turning towards the spectacular and away from glory. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But you know what, brothers and sisters, that's still an issue in the church today. Uh, in, in my tribe, the evangelical church, the charismatic church, people are drawn to the spectacular. We want the glitz and we want the glamour. Here's the, here's the quality, here's the spectacular. Here's what the spectacle is all about. I want you to understand what I'm saying here. Is that spectacle is about this. Uh, it's not about see the kingdom of God breaking in. It's about notice me, notice me, notice me. That's spectacle. Spectacle is the pathetic, narcissistic counterfeit of glory. God wants to bring his glory. We want the cheap substitute of spectacle. Glory, kavod, doxa. Those words from the Bible talking about the glory of God, the glory is different from spectacle because it is power without spectacle. It's power that doesn't attract attention to itself. It's power that ultimately draws our attention to God. Glory is about joy and reverence and beauty. And that's the characteristics of the kingdom of God. And also, even in the midst of God's glory, there is great simplicity. One of the temptations that Satan tempted Jesus with, uh, and we read about it in Matthew and in Luke, but I'm going to use Matthew's gospel here, is the enticement to the spectacular. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, listen to what the scripture says. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot on a stone. Just imagine, Jesus, you can jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Angels are going to appear and catch you. And man, just think of all the, think of all the astonishment and praise that's going to bring you, right? It's the temptation to be spectacular, to draw away the attention from God and draw it to ourselves. 
The power of the kingdom is not about spectacle. One of the things that we notice as we read the Gospels and as we read Acts and as we read the passage this morning is just, please listen, just how matter-of-fact miracles often, generally, are. You know, um, uh, we, as we think, as our minds imagine th- those past events, maybe there's lighting effects and smoke machines, but really it was very matter-of-fact. Think about, you know, Peter and James, I mean, Peter and John coming in uh, through the gate into the city of Jerusalem, and there's, remember this passage from Acts? There's a, a, a lame man that's sitting there, and typically he's begging. You know, he's, typically you don't make eye contact with beggars. And, but Peter, it says, Peter fixed his eyes on him. Peter looked directly at him, and he said this. He said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ. Arise and walk. And the lame man got up, and he went leaping and jumping and praising God into the temple. But that moment of healing where God's kingdom broke in and overturned sickness and oppression was just quite matter-of-fact. No fireworks. No big deal. It's just God's kingdom breaking in. And as we imagine those events, we might want to add to it, but really it's usually as simple as Jesus taking a sick woman by the hand and raising her up and her fever leaves her. Jesus, please listen, Jesus warned his church about being spectacular. We want glory. We want to see God's glory fill His church. Yes, give us your glory, God. But glory directs our attention to God. But here's what Jesus warned about. And if you go to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple and the signs at the end of the age. Listen to what He said. He said, and many false prophets, this is uh, Matthew 24, 11, and then Matthew 24, 24, and 25. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. For many false Christs and false prophets will arise, and here's what it says, and perform great signs and wonders. These false prophets will perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray. If possible even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Brothers and sisters, please, I would ask the church today to be discerning. Don't be deceived by spectacle. Don't be deceived by flash and glamour. Don't be deceived by things that draw... They, you know, many, it says, Jesus says, for uh, false prophets and false Christs will arise. In one place it says... Many false Christs will arise in my name. People come in my name, talking about Jesus stuff, acting like they're part of what I'm doing. Don't be deceived. Stay focused on God's word and his glory. We see that most clearly expressed. Where where do we see God's glory most clearly expressed? Jesus in John's gospel talks about when I am glorified, when I am lifted up. And in John's gospel, Jesus is making specific reference to this. Listen, Jesus equates his crucifixion with his glory. That's how we know God's glory. In self-emptying love that brings healing and transformation, that's where we see it most clearly. There, There is no greater humiliation 
no greater self-abasement than Jesus taking up his throne on the cross. Cross is anti-glamour, but it is full of glory. And so let's glory in the cross, in Christ's self-emptying love, in weakness and humility that draw our hearts to the true praise and worship, the doxa, the glory of God. So what did Jesus do as the crowd started to gather in Capernaum? Listen, this is how he responded. And rising, this is right after we have big crowds, right? So that next morning, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place where he prayed. He went away from the crowds to a desolate place where he prayed. It says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking, this is important, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus, everybody is looking for you. This is the place. You have made a name for yourself here. We've got a base of operations in Capernaum. We can market this thing. People are coming from other villages now to Capernaum. And just, you know, just think about all the notoriety and all the fame you're going to gather. And Jesus walks away from that, and he goes from village to village, and he remains this humble rabbi who is the very, and yet at the same time, this very, the very locus of God's kingdom breaking in in Israel. We, don't, we have a hard time holding those two things together simultaneously in our minds. He could have made a name for himself. He could have been spectacular. You know, in John's gospel, it seems that every time Jesus draws a crowd, he starts to intentionally run them off. Did you know something? You know, uh, he, so he's got this huge crowd. He's fed a bunch of people. I mean, that is, I mean, think about it. Even though we don't see fireworks, it is, once you realize that a crowd of 5,000 is being fed from a Happy Meal, that, turn, that tends to get people's attention. And so, uh, and so they keep handing out bread and fish, and people get, you know, keep eating. And at that point, they said, hey, this is the king here. Let's go out. And that's when Jesus gives that hard teaching on, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. Unless a man eats, this, my, eats my flesh, chews my flesh, and drinks my blood, he has no life in him. People turn around and say, that's just weird and icky. <laughs> and it says, it's a hard saying. Many of them stopped following him at that time. Jesus could have been spectacular. Everyone was looking for him, and instead he left his burgeoning fame behind and focused on embodying the embracing kingdom of God wherever he went. Church, let me encourage you this morning that uh, our God is amazing, and we don't have to be. Our God is amazing. The cross is our glory. Jesus is my fame Jesus is my boast. We don't have to be, I, you, know, you know, I like, we, God cares about beauty. We care about beauty. We're going to continue to emphasize beauty, physical beauty, beauty and music, the arts. That's good, that's good as long as it's giving glory to God. And we don't have to be famous because Jesus is. All we need to do, brothers and sisters, is live our lives like this. Lord, let everything I do 
in my life be an opportunity for your kingdom to begin to break in. You can do it through healing, Lord, if you want to do that through me, through the teaching of your word. That's, you know, that's God's kingdom came through his word. You can do it, Lord, through the uh, liberating of the oppressed. You can do it, Lord, by bringing justice where there is injustice. I just want to embody this like Jesus did and move from place to place as you would have me go. And you express yourself to make yourself famous, Jesus. Not that I'm noticed or my church is noticed. But that you are famous. And that's what we care about. And if we will keep our eyes on the cross... We won't have a problem by being deceived by the spectacular. Because we'll see God's glory revealed in self-emptying love, in a, in a, in a nail-pierced embrace of the whole world. And we'll glory in the cross. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged. So, because here at the corner of Queen and Melrose, we, may, we don't have to be spectacular. We just have to be open to God moving his kingdom movement here in this place. And he is faithful, and he will do it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.